The following Women's Spaces show was recorded on Monday, April 4th, 2022. The woman in your life will do what she must do to comfort you and calm you down and let you rest now. The woman in your life, she can rest so easily. She does everything you do because the woman in your life is you. Welcome to Women's Spaces. My name is Elaine B. Holtz, and I'm your host. And with me at the board is my friend, my partner, my engineer, and co-producer, Ken Norton. Good morning, Ken. Good morning. Beautiful day here in Sonoma County. I have a very special guest for this show. Joining me on the phone will be Laura Wells, who's a longtime activist and Green Party organizer. And we'll be talking about what is called the Unity Slate. Actually, it's called the Left Unity Slate, which I think is very, very interesting. Which, what is happening is there's a joining of the Green Party and the Peace and Freedom Party. And they are merging, and they actually are running uh, six uh, different candidates, and they're calling it the Left Unity Slate. And we are going to be talking about that. And also, I think it's really, it's a long time coming that a lot of these uh, smaller parties uh, come together. And also, Laura and I are going to be discussing what is it that makes it so difficult for more and more parties to get on the ballot that maybe that we may, uh, as citizens, we need to be aware of. Well, the primary election will be happening on June 7, 2022, and it's important to listen to the many, as many perspectives as possible. And although Laura is running for California controller, this program will be focusing on the challenges of running for office, thoughts on the two major third parties working together, and its impact. And, you know, to be honest, I'm really curious. I'm really curious about this and also curious about understanding what the position of controller is about. You know, it's really interesting how we, we vote for things. We vote for judges. We don't even know who we're voting for. I mean, all these positions are very, very important, and we really, really have to uh, have to pay attention to what people are saying and what they're promising, and also to, to make them accountable, that they have to live up to what their promises are. You know, I was on the Human Rights Commission. I'll never forget this, and I had to raise my right, right hand and and promised to defend the Constitution of the state of California and also of the United States. And it was very, very interesting because I listened to uh, our own Senator Mike McGuire when he took his vow when he was uh, elected to be senator here in for our district here in California. And I said the same I said the same thing, and, and I raised my hand. I made a promise, just like he made a promise, just like every elected official makes a promise. And that's why it's so important that we make sure that they keep they keep their eye on the prize, so to speak. And the prize is, is they told us things they were going to do, and that's why we voted for them. So it's it's kind of an interesting thing, particularly when, when there's so much money behind some candidates and other candidates, there's hardly anything. I always say, follow the money. You know, find out who is supporting these people that you're voting for. Don't just vote blindly. You know, so much is at stake. As we can see, our whole nation is kind of wobbling through things right now, particularly around our own constitution. You know, what do we want to be as a nation? Who do we want to be as a nation? 
what direction do we want to stay on or stay off? You know, there's all kinds of questions today. And the most important thing is rather than get depressed or angry, I mean, I can't believe there was this, this monstrous shooting in Sacramento. I mean, six people killed. I mean, I, 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 it, it's just mind-boggling what is happening in our cultures, in our world, you know, with all the different wars that are going on. And, you know, the, the answer is so simple. Time to take a time out and not put money and greed ahead of everything else. You know, it's just, it, it's just very perplexing to me. Well, on the bright side of life, <laughs> Ken and I had a great weekend and we celebrated our 22nd anniversary as partners together. And I want to thank Ken personally. Ken, wonderful, wonderful that we've been together this long. Actually, we've been together around 26 years because it took us a while before we decided to even become partners. And, you know, I think the secret is, the secret is, is that we just let each other be ourselves. You know, we try to support each other in our endeavors and we, we try to work things out. And if we get angry at one another, we don't hold on to it for days and days and days. We let the other person know it. And sometimes we even write a little note to each other you know to let each other say hey get on back off a little bit or I really like that so those things are are very uh, very important you know to recognize and I want to do a shout out and a thank you to all the wonderful wonderful wishes that we got over Facebook I swear to God I didn't know we had that many friends to be honest with you but it was just such a beautiful thing to see some of the expressions that people made towards us. I want to thank you all for wishing us a happy anniversary and wishing us even more and more years together. Well, I have one announcement to make, which I think is pretty important, and that's uh, uh, an event that's put on by Our Lives Matter Theater Company. As you remember, I had Diana Greger on about a week ago, and we talked about her new play, uh, Release, Unearthing the Silent Rumblings. In other words, you know, release, release, you know, anti-racism, you know, how to fight racism. But this play is really, really looks marvelous. And I really think that she had uh, a sellout for this first weekend that it was on. But I want to remind people that there's going to be two more performances. And that's going to be uh, next Saturday evening, April 9th from, at 7 p.m. And then there's going to be a Sunday matinee that's on April 10th at 3 p.m. And there might be, there just might be an added, uh, it depends, an added matinee on Saturday, but they're not sure. And the play is going to be happening at Congregation Nair Shalom, uh, the old, the old cafe, uh, Katani Cabaret. Boy, I remember that cabaret when we first moved up here from Los Angeles on 85 La Plaza in Katani, California. And uh, Diana was so gracious. She said, look, it's uh, hard to send people to a website. Just let people call me, and then she'll guide you how to get tickets. And her phone number is 707-364-1891. That's 707-364-1891, and you're calling about the play Release, Unearthing the Silent Rumblings. In other words, what's inside of us around racism that we really don't speak about. Well, you know, April is a very, very interesting month. You know, we have Earth Day, and then next month on May 1st, we have May Day. So there's a lot of interesting birthdays and things that, that happen uh, during the months. And I, I think that's so important. You know, the more I get into it and the more I think about it, our history is really our strength. I mean, to see what women have accomplished, what they've endured, 
you know, how they march forward in spite of it all. In fact, uh, Ken, Ken and I, we, we play some uh, canasta with some friends of ours. And the woman and I, Carolyn, and my friend Carolyn and I, were talking about the fact that up until 1970s, in the 1973, I think it was, we couldn't even get a credit card. We couldn't own our home in our own name. You know, if there was a divorce, your husband could take your children from you. I mean, I could go on and on. I mean, we definitely could not play sports. I mean, for heaven's sakes, and, and women of color in office, no way. So we've come a long way, but we still have a long way to go. But what? why our history is so important? Because for me personally, to be honest with you, it gives me courage and confidence because I see the accomplishments of the women who came before me. And I say to myself, wow, if they can do it when they didn't even have the vote, when they had no rights, then I can certainly speak out. You know, it's very interesting, this Sunday's paper in our local paper, it was all males writing to the editor. You know, come on, ladies, we have to get our voice out there loud and clear. It's very important for us to speak out. Speak up and speak out, that's what I say. So that's why I continually do our history as our strength, to remind the listeners out there that one can accomplish what they want to accomplish. You know, that old, that old uh, hymn I love is keep your eye on the prize. You know, keep yourself focused. Believe in yourself. Believe in the people around you. And don't be afraid to make a mistake. For heaven's sakes, I mean, the biggest, mis the biggest mistake we made is not to own our mistakes so we can move forward and improve. I mean, it's very, very interesting, especially activists, because one of the things you notice about politicians, when they do something wrong, they very rarely apologize. You know, they're so stuck in their egos and they have to be right that they can't just say, hey, I made a mistake. I mean, it's, it's, I don't know, maybe it's a male thing. I know for myself, I make lots of mistakes. I have to apologize a lot every once in a while. So it's, it's really important to think about that. So let's go ahead and look at our uh, history is our strength. And the first woman that I'm going to talk about, I've got to read. I'm going to read everything about her because I was stunned. And her birthday was, uh, she was born April 2nd, 1931, and she is still alive, which is neat. I'd, I'd love to see, you know, what, just to talk to her would be great. Set, listen to this, 17-year-old Jackie Mitchell, the second woman to play baseball in the All-American, all-male minor leagues pitches an, ex an exhibition game against the New York Yankees. And listen to this. She struck out both Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig. A woman struck out Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig, which is really, really funny. And what ended up happening... The next day... You're going to love this. The next day after the exhibition... The baseball commissioner voided her contract, claiming, listen to this, claiming baseball was too strenuous for women. The ban was not turned over until 1992. Can you believe that? Here, here this woman was such a good pitcher that she actually struck out Babe Ruth of all players and Lou Gehrig at this exhibition, and the next day they cancel her contract. And then it took until 1992 that women again could play baseball, I believe, with men. I mean, it's just, it, it, you have to laugh at it. 
you just, it's, it, we're too strenuous to play baseball. Really, really interesting. So Mitchell, um, Mitchell was throwing her trademark, a sinker they called it. Her first pitch to Babe Ruth was called a ball. During the next two pitches, Ruth swung at both and missed. He asked the umpire to inspect the ball. A new one was thrown out to, itch, uh, to Mitchell by the umpire. The fourth pitch delivered to Ruth was called a third strike. Well, like all males, Ruth was just furious. He glared at the imp and the umpire and started screaming at him. Other Yankee players had to come onto the field and lead him away. He was calm by the time he reached the bench. So here was here Babe Ruth got struck out by a woman. He couldn't handle it, had a little temper tantrum. I mean, it, that, does that sound familiar? Well, the next batter Mitchell could face was Lou Gehrig. She threw three pitches, and Gehrig swung through all three of them for the out. The crowd's excitement was almost uncontrollable. They gave her a standing ovation that lasted several minutes. Mitchell walked the next batter before the coach took her out of the game. Can you believe that? The Yankees eventually won the game 14-4. Mitchell became famous in the world of sports. She was the only professional female baseball pitcher who consecutively struck out two of the greatest players in the history of baseball. Boy, I can't wait to let my brother. My brother's a, <coughs> excuse me, is a baseball uh, fan. <coughs> excuse me, have a little congestion, these allergies, they really start coming up. Well, another, another great day that happened, and that was on April 5th, 100,000 to 500,000. Can you imagine this? 100,000 to 500,000 uh, people marched in New York City to attend the funeral of seven unidentified victims of the Triangle Shirtwaist Company fire in late March. You know, what's so interesting about that, what's really interesting about that is right now we're trying to human, unionize. And what came out of these fires was a really a strong union for the garment workers. And it was because of these women. And I want the, the fire itself, um, let me read this to you. On March 25th, 1911, the Triangle Shirtwaist Company factory in New York City burned, killing, listen to this, 146 workers. It is remembered as one of the most infamous incidents in American industrial history. As the deaths were largely preventable, most of the victim died as a result of, listen to this, neglected safety, safety features, and locked doors within the factory building. The tragedy brought widespread attention to the dangerous workshop conditions of the factories and led to the development of a series of laws and regulations. Listen to that. Laws and regulations. That's where government works, when they have laws to protect its workers, to protect its people. That led to the development of a series of laws and regulations that better protected the safety of workers. Now listen to this. This is, this, in today's world, this is stunning to me. Despite a good deal of evidence that the owners and management had been horribly negligent in the fire, a grand jury failed 
to indict them on manslaughter charges. To settle, listen to this, I, this, this blows me away. To settle lawsuits against them, they eventually paid $75 in compensation to each of the victim's family, a fraction of the $400 per death that they were paid by their insurers. My goodness. And, you know, out of that, what happened to another another woman evolved by the name of Frances Perkins. She was the woman who was vo uh, assigned to be the first woman at that head labor by President Roosevelt. And what happened is she was a social worker at the time, and she was coming home from work and happened to pass, happened to pass when the fire was going on and seeing all these women jumping out of windows. She said to herself, when the day comes, I'm going to make sure that there's safety in these in these workplaces and get rid of some of these uh, children's laws. Children should not be working in the factories. So Frances Perkins, who served on a committee that helped to set up the Factory Investigating Commission in New York in the wake of the fire, would later become Roosevelt's Secretary of Labor. What an amazing woman she was. And what an amazing thing it was that these women formed labors. And why is this important today? We're saying our history is our strength because right now there is a big uh, labor movement going on. Well, on April 7th, one last thing, on April 7th was the opening of the National Museum of Women and the Arts in Washington, D.C., the first museum devoted to women. Amazing. Well, I, there's two very important, there's several important birthdays that I want to say happy birthday to. That's April 3rd, Jane Goodall, who was a, she was a, a primacologist and conservationist, words foremost authority on uh, chimpanzees. On April 4th, made her transition in 2014. A wonderful writer, Maya Angelou, author, poet, civil rights activist, actress, and, and, and read poems she composed at President Clinton inauguration in 1993 and then one of my favorite my favorite singers who was born April 7th 1915 and made her transition Billie Holiday jazz singer began her career in Harlem in 1931 and of course became famous and and had a lot of controversy over the song that she sang called Strange Fruit but she was a very very influential in in the jazz organizations some pretty powerful women that we are standing on the shoulders of. And I'll tell you, these women give me confidence. These women give me the strength to stay on the air, to speak truth, you know, to try to encourage people to educate themselves, to educate themselves into voting, to making sure they go to the polls and to realize, you know, there's a song that I love. Is there any, how could anybody tell you that you're anything less than beautiful? And I'll tell you, that's how I feel about most women, particularly these women who are making a difference. Well, we are going to take a musical break now, and I'm going to be playing a song. It's called The Impossible Dream. And, you know, I, I think that we're all in this kind of, are we ever going to be able to have peace? Are we ever going to be able to come together as a people, as, as human beings, and make a statement that we are on this planet together and we're going to work it out? You know, and I just love this song. And when we return, I will be talking with Laura Wells, longtime active act activist and organizer for the Green Party, and we'll be talking about the upcoming election in June and the coming together of the Green Party and the Peace and Freedom Party of California. They are calling their platform Left Unity Slate, which will include seven 
Wow, statewide candidates. You know, and, and it's so important that everybody gets their message out. So let's go ahead, Ken, let's play The Impossible Dream. just gives me chills up and down my spine the impossible dream sometimes that's we you know I, I remember John Lennon's song imagine you know that's almost like the same thing we're all dreaming dreaming about peace dreaming about equality dreaming about being more human beings to one another anyway for you folks just joining I want to remind my listeners the opinions expressed here are not necessarily the opinion to the station its board of directors its members or women's spaces 
Well, welcome back. You're listening to Women's Spaces, and I'm your host, Elaine B. Holtz. And without further ado, I want to introduce my guest. Joining me on the phone is longtime activist Laura Wells. Welcome, Laura. Welcome to Women's Spaces. Well, thank you, and thank you for the show so far. I listened to it, and it's well, I just, wonderful to hear. I just, ho- I just, when I saw that song, you know, and I was thinking of hearing you two parties merging and, you know, all the different dreams that people are having. It's just, it was just amazing. But, Laura, before we begin, I would just like to tell folks just a little bit about you. Is that okay? Sure. Laura Wells was born and raised in Michigan. As a scholarship student, she earned her B.A. in foreign languages from Wayne State University in Detroit in 1969 and was elected to the Phi Beta Kappa Society. Laura went on to earn a Master's of Education at Antioch uh, University and lived in Boston, uh, Massachusetts for the next 10 years, working in finance, computer programming, and system analysis. In 1992, Laura switched to working with nonprofits such as Pesticide Action Network and Women's Economic Agenda Project and other sectors such as schools, labor unions, and county government for the past 30-plus years. Uh, Laura has lived in California and has been a resident in Oakland for 2,000 years. And just a little bit about your political background. Before (laughs) registering as a Green, Laura has served in a number of leadership positions in the country uh, and state levels of the Green Party of California. She was a founding member of the Green Party County Council in Alameda County and co-founder and managing editor of the state's Green Party newspaper, Green Focus. Laura uh, found a political home in the Green Party. She appreciated the recognition that the problems facing everyone were uh, interrelated, peace and nonviolence and the environment, wealth, poverty, and social justice. She saw that real social justice was up against all the isms of society. She likes the fact that the Green put principles into practices by never accepting corporate money or developing um, money either, since developers uh, brought government at the level of cities. And I have to say, she's also a wonderful mother and ballroom dancer. <laughs> anything, <laughs> anything else you'd like to add, Laura? <laughs> that covers a lot. <laughs> no, and I just I wanted to just acknowledge you. I mean, you are you are definitely a woman who is an example for all of us. Well, Laura, let's start out. You know, let's talk about what motivated. I mean, what motivated you? I know that at one point I believe you were a Democrat, and what 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 motivated you to first explore and then become a member of the Green Party uh, of California? Well, it was an unusual way. A friend of mine said, Laura. I had a dream that you were in politics, and I said, I hate politics, <laughs> and, and he said, well, why don't you try the Green Party? It's a brand new party here in California, and that was 1992. It also happened at about the same time that my daughter was eight years old, and I felt as if I pulled my head up out of the sand and went, things aren't getting better. Uh, you know, I, I thought from the 70s, you know, the second wave of feminism and the Earth Day and all of that, but then I started to realize things weren't getting better. So then I did check out the Green Party, and as you, as you mentioned in, in the introduction, you know, the fact that it's all interrelated, both problems and solutions. If you do a solution that helps uh, bring peace to the world, you are certainly going to help justice, and you're going to help the environment. 
uh, and that and those are the, the four main pillars are peace and social justice and ecology and real grassroots democracy and it's all interrelated and as you mentioned no corporate money amazing so that the, yeah so that it's the what so the values so you stay with the values because you don't have a, a mixed loyalties well, loyalties. Well, talk, you know, everything you say is so positive and strong, but at the same time, talk about some of the challenges that third parties have in order to get on the ballot. I mean, is there something in the Constitution that prevents, you know, more more parties, or what is it? What is it that we only have, it seems, the Democrats or the Republicans, and it seems like the the third parties just kind of float away? Well, uh, the um, Constitution doesn't really say much about political parties, and the United States is extremely unusual in a bunch of ways. One of my favorite Green Party slogans is democracy. Great idea. When do we start? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, what, what 90 other countries in the world have proportional representation, which means you have multi, multi, um, multi candidate districts, you know, where you have five people in a district rather than single districts. That means if 20% of the people go, hey, we need to move toward green or we need to move toward libertarian, then you can have a green in the legislature. You can have a libertarian in the the legislature. Not everybody in San Francisco, you wouldn't have 100% Democrats, and and in Central Valley, you wouldn't have 100% Republicans. So, and people who have, who work in that kind of a system, the, the politicians who get elected find it much more vital. You can have a real conversation as opposed to um, a two-party system where all they have to do is just be, in the eyes of their voters, just a little bit better than the other guy. And it's pretty easy for the Democrats to be better than, uh, than Trump, for example. But uh, that's a pretty low bar. But you know, it's it's interesting when you say that because when I think of when I think of my own, you know, I'm 82 years old, so you know, can imagine how many elections I've had, but particularly for president, and I can't, I can't. It's it's shocking when I think about how many times I said, "Oh my God, I got to vote for the lesser of two evils again." And so when you vote, in my mind, when you're voting for the lesser of two evils, what you end up with, which we're ending up with right now, is just a lot, a lot of evil. Well, you know, talking about the third parties, do you find that there are more women that are attracted to it, more women of color, more people of color? What what what? How are people responding, particularly in this in this time, this juncture that we're going through? Well, there are more women and people of color that are running as candidates in the, um, in the alternate parties, you know, like Peace and Freedom and Green Party. I remember one time we ran, there was a full slate of candidates, and I would ask people, okay, guess how many women are running for the seven statewide offices as a Republican? And every people would shout, zero. And I'd say, okay, guess how many are running as uh, Democrats? And they'd think about it for a while and go, one, two, the answer was zero. You know, so we've, so we've do- done better uh, than that. But now with identity politics, you can always find somebody with a particular identity that has values that are at odds 
with the majority of the people in that demographic group, and all I need to do is say Clarence Thomas, who is by reputation the most conservative uh, judge justice on the Supreme Court, and so you know, but you, but you know, he's a black man, so that counts as identity politics. But but yeah, there you do have more of a chance um, as a woman or a person of color in a party that's not one of the two. What I've called the Titanic parties, there. Well, you know, it's it's really interesting. I think times have changed a little bit because here in Sonoma County, uh, I believe uh, it, in in April, yeah. in April, the, in the middle of the month, we're going to be uh, there's a Sonoma Media Group, and they're bringing Wyona LaDuke on, who ran as vice president with uh, I think it was Jill Stein with the Green Party with Nader. With, oh, with yeah. Ralph Nader, yes, and right. she is, and she is the one they came up with. You know, water is life, and I just think it's amazing that our our media is bringing her into our county, and I just hope people really support that effort because she is, in my mind, is a a woman who really speaks truth. You know, so that that's right. re- that's really interesting. Some of the points you brought up, but but you know, you, one of the things that you're very familiar with because you've run several times, and I I, I imagine you're running again uh, on this. You'll be on the June seventh ballot but we're, we're talking now about we want to get i just want to have a show that educates people about some of these positions so i thought maybe you would talk a little bit about you know i can't believe it i mean as as many times have i voted i thought i scratched my head like what does the controller what does the controller do you know it i mean the word control everybody wants to have you know control of things but what does the controller do and then also you're very involved with public banking how does that integrate how does the control or what kind of say do they have around public banking? And if you'd like to give us a little idea about that, Laura. Yeah, well, I'll make three points. One is that the, the controller is basically the bookkeeper, keeps track of the money coming in and the money being, you know, the money going out. And there's a companion financial officer in California, which is the treasurer, and that person is responsible for the investments for de- deciding where all the money goes in um, the, that California oh. is sitting on. So so those two work together. And I'll tell you that in 2014, I, I also ran for state controller. And the person who ran for treasurer was Ellen Brown. And she is the person who literally has written the book on public banking. So we ran on a, on a uh, pr- platform of public banking, and, and for me, it's also tax the super rich, please. And the uh, and we had very high uh, voter results, which makes me think two things. One thing is that people really like the idea of public banking when they know that it means you invest in California and not Wall Street. That's the bottom line. And I always thought maybe they liked the idea of two women running the money in California, <laughs> Laura Wells and Ellen Brown. You know, that they thought, it, thought that might be a good idea, which I certainly think would be a good idea. Well, that's amazing. Well, what, what do you believe that public banking brings us? I mean, what you're saying, in other words, our banks are investing in Wall Street, not in the community. Is that what you're saying? Or there's more, there's more opportunity to invest in the community through public banking? Right. I'll talk about uh, public banking, and I also want to say something about audits, because that's a, 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 of the three things that's like the bookkeeper, do audits, and public banking. And just quickly about audits, 
the thing that I believe that the state controller ought to audit are the big, huge things, not just the little, like, how the agencies spend their money. But what happened to the lottery? I mean, this was a long time ago, but it was supposed to make, uh, it was supposed to solve all the funding problems for the schools. Well, now, what did happen with that? And the, and the other things, why did the schools go from, and the university system especially, go from so wonderful to so bleak? in California. And a second thing that I would audit is health care, but I might come back to that. But we'll talk about public banking. And as I said, it invests in California, not Wall Street. There's one state that has had a public bank, and by now, thanks to Ellen Brown, I think, a lot of people may know that it's North Dakota. And they've had it for over 100 years, since 2019, because they were tired of doing so much work and having the the Wall Street banks foreclose on them and take their farms when they were the ones that were doing the work. So then they set up their own bank, and some of, among the things that the bank that the Bank of North Dakota does is that it has it enables that state to have more community local banks per capita than any other state because it partners with those local local banks rather than compete with them and, and take them over and use the 2008 bailout to buy them out, you know, that kind of thing, when the, when the local community banks were not the cause of the global financial meltdown. Let me ask you, so a, que- then, let me ask you the, a question here. So what you're saying is, it sounds like you're saying that by having public banking, that your money is not only invested in the more into the community that you're a part of, but your monies are actually safer. Yes, you know because yes. they're not they're not gambling, and it it, right. it feels like Wall Street to me is it's you gamble. You know, you you buy a stock or you buy something for say a penny, and then it goes up to five pennies, and then you sell it. You know, all it, it feels like you're but you're gambling. You're 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 taking a risk. Well, especially the the Wall Street banks are now gambling with our savings, which the final nail in the coffin of Glass Steagall, which came up as part of the. Um, FDR reforms of the banks after that, you know, the banks melted down the economy before the Depression. Okay, so Glass-Steagall separated the commercial banks from the investment banks, and Clinton signed a bill that did away with that regulation. You were talking about rules and regulations earlier. Did away with that, and that was in... When like 1998 or 1999, and then boom, within a decade, global financial meltdown because they were playing, they were making up all sorts of new things like derivatives, you know, all things that were not based on anything substantial that helped people's lives be better, but just games, as you were, as you were saying, different ways of, of gambling. Well, you know, it's uh, interesting when you think about the Glass-Seagull thing, I remember it like it was yesterday. You know, I remember all of a sudden the big hullabaloo, yeah, we signed it now, we're going to, less circulations are going to be, you know, the trickle down and all that other good stuff that they say. It's just, it's just amazing. Well, you know, Laura, I hate to cut you off, but you know, time goes and we would, I, I do this in segments. And so right now, <laughs> right now I would like to take a musical break. And I think, I think the things that you, that you're saying are so important, you know, that for people to understand, especially, you know, when we vote, what are we voting for? Who are we voting for? 
looking for and what is the motivation. It's really, it's really a very, very interesting talk. And I would like to take a, a musical break right now, if that's okay with you. And then when we come back, I'd like to talk a little bit about this merger, I think, which is when I first found out about it, just, it just I said, wow, this is amazing to think that you know, two smaller parties will come together, especially it's so difficult for people to come together these days. So I'm going to play a song, and I think this is really important. It's a song, of course, one of Bob Dylan's song, and I think it's it's more uh, it's more pertinent today than it was when it was even written, and that's the Masters of War, and it's going to be sung by uh, Judy Collins. And then when we return, I will continue my conversation with Laura Wells, who is a member of the Green Party, and we'll be talking about the Green Party and the Peace and Freedom Party working together, and for the and all a little bit about the uh, up and coming election, uh, what they've organized called the Left Unity Slate uh, of seven statewide candidates. Just amazing. So we'll let's go ahead, Ken, and play Masters of War. Now you masters of war You that build all the guns You that build the death planes You that build the big bombs You that hide behind walls You that hide behind desks I just want you to know I can see through your mask You that never done nothing But build to destroy You play with my world Like it's your little toy You put a gun in my hand You hide from my eyes then you turn and run farther when the fast bullets fly Like Judas of old You lie and deceive A world war can be won You want me to believe But I see through your eyes And I see through your brain I can see through the water that runs down my drain You fasten their triggers For others to fire Then you sit back and watch When the death count gets higher You hide in your mansion As young people's blood Flows out of their bodies and is buried in the mud You've thrown the worst fear That can never be hurled The fear to bring children Into the world Or threaten my baby Unborn and unnamed You ain't worth the blood that runs in your veins How much do I know To talk out of turn You might say that I'm young You might say I'm unlearned There's one thing I know Oh, I'm younger than you even Jesus would never forgive what you do Let me ask you one question Is your money that good? 
all the money you make won't buy back your soul. And I was thinking about bringing children, and here I am, a great-grandmother now. It's amazing. And also, I want to comment. I want to make a comment. I mean, that to me, Bob Dylan wrote one of the, the most brilliant pieces of poetry and explaining more. Amazing. Just a, a little announcement here. I've been actually nominated to be, um, I don't know if it'll happen, but I am being nominated to be the Poet Laureate here from uh, for Sonoma County. And when I listen to Bob Dylan's poetry, I think, oh, man, that's what I consider poetry. Anyway, welcome back. You are listening to Women's Spaces, and I'm a host, Elaine B. Holtz, and I'm continuing my conversation with Green Party member Laura Wells. Welcome back, Laura. Well, thank you. Thank wonderful you for, music that you've chosen. And wonderful, wonderful conversation. Well, Laura, is there any last comments on the public banking before we go into the next segment? Anything else you'd like to add? Just quickly, that it, it helps with um, funding, with student loans, it helps with mortgages, it helps with small businesses especially, you know, to keep them vibrant, and any, and the interest is, it ha- would help have replaced the Bay Bridge span that was replaced, because often 40% of the total cost of public infrastructure is interest, and so, and any interest that is charged goes back into the state and invests in the universities and all of that so so it's and there's a vibrant movement that is happening there's sort of a friendly competition to see where the first public bank since a hundred years ago um, will happen in the u.s so just uh, google public banking and you'll you'll see public banking of the east bay they're doing you know looking at regional banks so yeah it's very exciting Thank you for sharing that. I mean, it's so important. You know, we've we've got to be open to change. We really do. We have to be open. Well, here we are, 2022, and you're running again at this time. It's different as the Green Party and the and the Peace and Freedom Party have uh, come together and have developed what they are calling the left unity slate. Before we get into the impact and the importance of that move, talk about the two parties and their mission. Let, let's start with the Green Party. So the, the Green Party, as you mentioned before, founding commitment is no corporate money for the candidates or for the p- party itself. You cannot have divided loyalties. Um, and the four pillars are peace and nonviolence, social justice, ecology, and real grassroots democracy, which means I don't think we would have the electoral college, and I think we would have proportional representation so that people could really get um, represented proportional to their, to their values. So, so that's the Green Party, and the Peace and Freedom is committed to, uh, and this is from their website, socialism, democracy, ecology, feminism, and racial equality. And it says we, we represent the working class, those without capital in a capitalist society. So they've been around since 1967 and have been committed to socialism. Uh, and they 67, what's that, 55 years, and have not been killed off because there are a lot of people that, uh, that are... Uh, big majority of people actually are represented by those values. The Green Party has been around since 1992, as I mentioned earlier, and so that's 30 years, and they've been trying to kill us because we're nationwide, so they've been trying to kill us all over the place, and we still survive because of our values. 
uh, and the um, yeah. So so the in the so you can see that a lot of those values are the same. Oh, I know what it's going to say. We've adopted eco socialism. So it's the same. It's very similar to the peace and freedom, where it's it's the but we just call it eco socialism, sort of to to def- differentiate it from a state socialism where the state owns everything. Well, you know, it's interesting. You know, it's interesting that the the two parties have come together. What what kind of process was that? And and what made you come up with the <laughs> with the idea calling it left unity slate? I really I really like that idea. Or it could, we could say it's the right unity slate, but would because it's correct. I mean, it's so it, it's so funny when you look at left and right. You know, it reminds me. There's this 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 uh, song we uh, this movie we saw Best in Show where the guy has two left feet. You know, and I'm thinking yeah. myself, you know, it's 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 very, it's really interesting. Well, talk about the process. I mean, who had the idea, and and, and what kind of process did you folks go through in order to accomplish this? Well, just a word on left, left and and right is that what when I think of left, I just think, are you toward the people or toward the money? You know, and that that's the way I think of it. I'm not comfortable with those two terms because they don't. Uh, they we're much more complex than that. Everybody. So, but the, it, the, I'm not even sure who came up with the idea. There's a cooperation is a big uh, value in both the Green Party and the uh, Peace and Freedom Party. So I think it's sort of a good thing that I, that I don't have that identified as one single person. But I know that as I've run for office, people would often say, well, now, Laura, why do, don't all the smaller parties run together and then you'd have more power? Um, well, we don't agree with the, for example, the American Independent Party, which was founded by George Wallace, um, seeking to continue segregation, and the libertarians, if you take don't tax the rich out of it, you know, then they, that pretty much deflates their balloon. Um, and But the Peace and Freedom and Green Party was like, uh, yeah, why don't we run together? So that has been an idea in a lot of people's minds, and um, some key people got together and uh, searched for a balance of between our our two parties and started oh, about, about a year ago maybe um, to the search for candidates. And it's not been without controversy both within um, I don't know about Peace and Freedom Party, but certainly within the Green Party. But at some point, the idea was put out that we would have a left unity slate and the, the representatives from the delegates from around the state in California voted on it and approved it. And so then there we were off and running. And um, I've always worked a, very closely with other Peace and Freedom candidates in the past anyway. And that there have been times that they've endorsed um, my candidate campaigns and other greens and vice versa you know that the that the greens were able to endorse and endorse um other parties as well that was a change we had to make actually and we did so so the cooperation is increasing we love it well, I have I have a list of I'd say there's six people. Looks like you have someone running for Secretary of State. You're running for Controller. You have the uh, someone running for on the Green Party for the Attorney General. Then you have the Peace and Freedom Party for Treasurer, and then uh, on the Commission of 
Peace and Freedom on the Insurance Commissioner and then also on the U.S. Senate, which is, it's kind of divided. It looks like three and three. You know, what, do you think this is going to be a trend? I mean, do you think, do you th what do you, why do you believe this is an important move? I mean, what kind of impact do you think this is going to have on the political genre? Well, first, let, let me point people to the uh, website, which is leftunityslatealtogether.org. And this is a basic website, but, but there you can see the list of candidates that, um, that Elaine just read out. So, and I can, so your question about what I see coming up in the future is I can't, I can't imagine that we would back off from this. And these are statewide races, and so they are partisan where whether you're green, uh, unlike whether you're green or peace and freedom shows up on the ballot, whereas local races, whether it's uh, county or city, are nonpartisan, and so whatever you're registered does not show up on the ballot. But for the statewide races, I imagine that we will continue to do this because it's a, it's a, you know, it's a good idea. Plus, the problems out there are pretty strong, and we need to have some parties that are not the billionaires' parties and, and that are actually um, stand in favor of things. Let, let me say a, a quick thing, that something that we are very much in favor of, and that's health care. And by we, I mean the Green Party and Peace and Freedom Party, and I mean the majority of people in this state. And here's what we're up against and that we're, we're um, gathering our strength as much as we can, and that's health care. Single-payer health care now has ma majority support. And listen to this scenario. Is the majority of Californians actually like it. There, was a, there is a California budget surplus. There was, there was a bill not just to implement it, but also, also, also the bill to fund it, which sometimes has been missing in the past. And they say, well, we can't do it because we don't have a bill to fund it. Okay, so there's two bills and a pandemic plus an election coming up. And what happened to those two bills that were in the Sacramento legislatures? They did not even get voted on. In 2021, they said, oh, well, we're not going to do it this year, but we'll do it in 2022. In 2022, they took it off the table. And Gavin Newsom and a whole bunch of other people have campaigned on it. Now, peace and freedom and uh, and the Green Party, to the extent that we got in office, which would be wonderful and very difficult given this system, but to the extent that we get more and more and more votes, just the votes, you know, should provide some pressure on this system. And why follow the money, as you said earlier? Follow the money. Why didn't it come to the um, to, to a vote? Because they... Um, because they've gotten money, particularly from the health insurance companies and from the pharmaceuticals, as well as hospitals and doctors. And one more thing about that. Do you know how many, you know, we elected an action hero um, who was our governor for seven years. Do you know how many times the Democratic legislature put it on his desk? And he had vowed that he would veto it. They put it on his desk twice. Okay, so since Schwarzenegger... Jerry Brown for eight years, Gavin Newsom for four years. That's 12 years of Democratic governors. Do you know how many times the Democratic legislature, which is now a supermajority legislature in both houses, do you know how many times they put it on the Democratic governor's desk? I'll give you one guess. Twice. Zero. 
Oh God! Well, we're going to have to we're going to have to end with that thought because we're definitely coming to the end of our segment here, and I want to give you a chance for last words and also to tell people about your website. And we got to hurry up, Laura. We've only got okay. about one minute. Okay, very quickly, mynname.org. So it's laurawells.org. That's my website, and it's got some blog pieces in it. Check out. Um, what is a billionaire? Because yeah, it's hard to even conceive that. And as I mentioned, the leftunityslate.org will get you to all of the, um, the Peace and Freedom and Green Party candidates that are running statewide. Well, Laura Wells, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for doing such a wonderful, wonderful interview and so educational. And I couldn't help it. I remember Ronald Reagan saying that government was the problem. Well, no, government is not the problem. We need government. We need regulations. We need something for the people and by the people. So it's very, very interesting. And thank you so much, Laura. And I want to wish you much success in all that they're doing. And I just think it's amazing that this whole process. Well, that's it for our show, folks. A special thank you to Laura Wells, long time. Thank you, women's faces. <laughs> Thank you so much, Laura. Thank you for such a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful program. This is Elaine B. Holt. You've been listening to Women's Spaces. Thank you so much for listening. I look forward to being with you the next time. You do because a woman in your life is you. Because a woman in your life and a woman in your life The previous Women's Spaces show was recorded on Monday, April 4th, 2022.